Bay Buccaneers are up 31 nothing heading into the fourth quarter against oh, the Eagles. Like- Come on. Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Dollar Coltman. Um, I have no witty uh, quotes or interesting facts about this week, other than that there's lots to talk about. I know Elliot is raring to go. He's got his hat in hand for our first topic and a busy weekend in the NFL we're going to get to, and obviously a very, very uh, tumultuous time in oil country. Those are our (laughs) topics this week. Uh, I don't see any reason to waste uh, any time on the preamble. Do you guys? No. Okay, then let's do it. Here it is. This is topic one. Okay, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, we are going to pick up right where Elliot took his hat off uh, last week. Novak Djokovic has officially been dismissed from the uh, continent of Australia, the country of Australia. Um, the, the, the resolution to what was a court battle that has dragged on now for a couple weeks uh, came this weekend. Um, Elliot took his hat off to him last week, I think a little bit sort of tongue in cheek because the whole thing really um, had devolved into just a really messy and really kind of almost comical um, sort of fight over over COVID protocol and over uh, visa applications and whatnot. Obviously, for those who don't know, Novak Djokovic, the world number one ranked tennis player, um, arrived in Australia about two weeks ago to uh, prepare for and begin the Australian Open, which is the first of the Grand Slams in the um, tennis schedule. And upon arriving in Australia, he discovered his visa was being revoked. He had previously sought an exemption both from the uh, Australian Open uh, like the sporting committee, the, the, the organizers of the, of the tournament, uh, uh, an exemption for the fact that he's not vaccinated from COVID-19. And he also got permission from Queensland, which is the province uh, where this tournament takes place to come into that area without having been vaccinated, even though that was against the national rules. However, when he landed, uh, it was discovered that the government of Australia was going to bar him from entering the country again because of his lack of vaccination. They have a very strict policy concerning foreigners entering entering the country and their vaccination status. Uh, he challenged that in court. Won his first court battle, suggesting that he was. Uh, you know, he wasn't uh, in violation or he should have been given more of an opportunity. Um, so he went on to, to practice and prepare. And then um, the government, actually, the foreign minister ended up revoking his visa a second time and this time more permanently. He challenged that one more time in court, lost his court battle and found himself on a plane and not playing um, Monday uh, in Australia to start the tournament. He is the reigning champion of the Australian Open, and he also now potentially will find himself facing a three-year ban on returning to Australia if this visa um, dismissal uh, ends up being upheld. I'm sure there'll be some core challenges and whatnot moving forward. Long story short, uh, Australian PM Scott Morrison uh, believes very strongly in strong borders. He's obviously a very right-wing leaning politician, and I think he made a bit of a show of this entire thing. But obviously Novak Djokovic made no... um, sort of saint of himself either. He lied on his visa application about having not traveled to other countries. And I think overall, no one comes out of this looking good. But in the end, a resolution was found. Elliot, uh, I'm going to go to you first because I know you know you, uh, you took your hat off to Novak last week. Uh, do you stand by that or, or have your opinions on this matter changed? Well, I stand by my hats off last week. I thought it was he was being put through what was a cluster mess. And, uh, and you know, we've seen <laughs> that's borne out to be uh, 
the truth. He's, you know, um, in this entire situation, he was promised things that ultimately not only the Australian government, but his uh, professional association couldn't deliver on. And I think that that's the problem here. Uh, there's lots of talk about the government of Australia, the government of Queensland, Novak Djokovic himself, who I don't agree with. Uh, he should be vaccinated. Uh, don't don't uh, don't put my don't don't signal my hats off to him as some sort of endorsement for anti-vax uh, sentiment. But what's what I am struggling with here is how the um, professional tennis or association of tennis professionals is allowing anyone at all to participate in a tournament or any event whatsoever, regardless of whether it's a major tournament or not, regardless of their standing in the world with regards to their skill and their talent, why they're allowing anyone to play the game without being vaccinated. And what frustrates me in this conversation is that there's tons of talk about the Australian government's response, the, the response of Queensland and Novak Djokovic, but no one's talking about the league itself. Every other league has made a decision. If you are unvaccinated, you should not be playing. Not every other league, but not that's every. been that's but that's been a position <clears throat> that many leagues have taken. What league? And, Name one. Uh, the NHL. No, nope, there's, there's one no rule there. There's yeah, but that was still player choice. It was yes, still player but, choice. The only deterrent yes. there was the border problem. That's the yes. only deterrent. Yes, and the but, NHL but there, didn't but, make but, that problem. Lots, policy. but lots of strongly, strongly encouraged stuff. Yes, okay, absolutely. The, the, there's no strong, there's no rules necessarily. But and the NBA right now is allowing or considering allowing players who are unvaccinated to play in uh, places like Brooklyn, for example, Kyrie Irving, but by paying a fine, they'll pay they'll pay a fee for him to be able to play in that arena. But that's yes, not also no, on the NBA. That's, that's the, again, the government of New York is the one who's barring him from playing there. Exactly. Not the league, not but, the but, league. But what, getting back to my point, and, and regardless of what other leagues are doing, this, he shouldn't have been allowed to play. If, 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 it's simply, if it's simply stated, this individual is not, anyone who's not vaccinated should not be participating in this tournament. There's no plane ticket bought. Sure. There's no arrival to Australia. And there's no appeal, court case appeals process and his ultimate dismissal from the country. See, okay, and I so, think that so there's a leader that what I'm struggling with here is all the talk about rules and innuendo and things like that. And, and no one seems to be talking about the fact that if all things were equal and he had won his appeal, he would be participating in a tournament to get today unvaccinated. Right. I think that that for me confuses yeah, sure. you. That's not on the player. Yeah. That's not on the government. That's on the professional association. True. And we should we should definitely be holding these leagues and organizations to a higher standard when it comes to player safety. I completely agree with you. I think the truth is that, that none of them are going to do it for one very simple reason. It comes down to one word. It's called money. The amount of money that these organizations uh, could lose from losing these players and their, you know, and their connected sponsors and all of those things uh, is, is too high a risk for them to worry about these things. We've seen this so many times before. When has the NFL ever given a shit about player safety when it comes to the opportunity to make money off the backs? When has the NHL ever worried about really going after concussions or really going after dangerous hits? You know, these things always are a factor. And now you've got a whole different thing to contend with is outside you know, virus that is completely separate from the actual gameplay and the dangerousness of the gameplay. I mean, there's not a lot in tennis that would be considered dangerous to players' health and safety. It's a non-contact sport, you know, but this is a whole different thing. And I do agree with you that we should hold that league to its standard. But in lieu of that, I think that, you know, we need to be asking ourselves, why, why is anyone uh, 
not, you know, why, why is anyone surprised that this was the outcome? Braden, I'm going to let you jump in because we kind well, of just, out of I mean, just consequences like this. This is they have stated that this is the consequence of not being vaccinated. Mm-hmm. This player knows this. And it doesn't matter that he's number one in the world. I, that, that's that's all beside the point here. Like, there's a lot of other stories going on in the Australian Open right now that I think are a lot more important, like Osaka's return. And, and you know, <clears throat> there's there's so many other exciting things here. And I think that, I mean, I'm sure ATP loves the swarm of media on, on the sport, but not on this. Like, it, yeah, it doesn't right. feel great. And it's funny because the, the, the thing I read there was the, the reason that they they uh they were pushing for this is that they were, the government of australia was concerned that his unvaccinated status would actually cause civil unrest like that's huge and is like the, the fact that that's what they're pinning this on or this that's what they're it just it doesn't seem it doesn't seem truthful it doesn't seem no, real it doesn't yeah I would I, I would agree that as i said in the intro i think both sides of this have a lot of questions to answer, right? I think Novak Djokovic did not endure himself to anyone in how he handled this situation. That's where I will start. You know, he's the the big name attached to this. Obviously lied on the application, obviously has had a track record of being pretty vocal and pretty open about his dislike of COVID protocol. And, you know, he is an anti-vaxxer. He's been pretty clear about that. People may not remember June of 2020 when we were right in the first wave of this whole pandemic, he held a tennis tournament um, privately to make, you know, money uh, had kids come and it would be basically became a super spreader event. That's the first of apparently two, almost three times he's had COVID. Um, well, we're not he, quite yeah, sure how many times he had it. Yeah. He apparently he had it month, a month or two ago, which is the reason he gave for his exemption from needing a vaccine. Answer me that one. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Lied about not having been in multiple countries. So like, he's not no innocent figure in this. I think the notion that he's been mistreated is kind of, I mean, I'm sorry. There are people dying in ICUs right now. This is the number one ranked tennis player in the world who is living, you know, in a in in a, a very luxurious lifestyle. He flew in and out of Australia in a private jet. This guy is not suffering here. Sure, it probably was inconvenient for him to not be in the Four Seasons and instead to be in an immigration hotel for four days. I'm sure that was really really hard on him. But I would offer him this: if he's if if you really want to make a a point of trying to explain to Novak Djokovic what his actions say to other people as a role model, maybe instead of kicking him out of Australia, why don't you take him down to one of your ICUs or why don't you take him down to one of your and let him see all of the hundreds and hundreds of first responders who have been suffering for two years nonstop as people are dying around them from this very serious and very real disease. That's what I would say. Well, he's I'll go one, so he's at risk then. Fine, they but that's his choice. That. Isn't that the whole point of this? That's his choice. Um, most of the people in those ICUs are also unvaccinated, the vast majority of them who are now suffering from serious parts of COVID. I will point out one more thing. I did say there are two sides to this. I do believe there are two sides to this. I do think that Australia completely mishandled how this process was dealt with. I think that they've made a much bigger spectacle out of this than was necessary, um, which doesn't lead them also to look very good coming out of it, right? Obviously, as I said, Scott Morrison is you know, he's no no hero in this whole thing too. As the Prime Minister of Australia, he's a pretty far right wing guy and he's had a pretty unpleasant uh, track record if you look back to immigration. I think that there's a lot of politics at play here as far as the point he's trying to make, which is that he's 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 using this as a way to sort of 
uh, bolster his anti-immigration and anti-foreign um, um, uh, uh, sort of policy here. He's, he's, we're tough on the borders. We've got a whole bunch. And if you look, actually, it's fascinating. They have one of the largest visa rejection and detention records under him that Australia has ever had. A lot of people are being stopped at the borders from a lot of different parts of the world. But what does confuse me, and maybe Elliot, I know this isn't a politics podcast, but I do have a question for you politically. If you're a far hard right wing leaning guy, why would you pick a fight with an anti-vaxxer at this time politically? Like I'm assuming in Australia, a lot of the people who are anti-vax are probably still lining up on the right right hand side. It feels a little bit like he's kind of going after his base with this one. This feels like scoring political points on one side, showing you're a hardliner on immigration and at the same time kind of. Am I wrong on this? Like, this feels very strange politically. I think on the surface, you're probably right. And, and I'd be hesitant to comment too much on this because I'm not as versed in Australian politics as I used to be. However, I think the initial backlash at the approval of hit of Djokovic's visa was such a political burden to bear that that was that was out that outsized any sort of concern around upsetting his base for going after an anti-vaxxer i i think australia has been uh uh pretty strict uh through multiple administrations now with regards to their response to COVID, and that's what the expectation has been and island nations have the luxury of being a lot more strict and it being really impactful in terms of case numbers. You know, I right. look at a, a couple other Iceland's another example, uh, you know, shout out to Malta, same thing. Like if you're an Island nation and people can't just drive over a, bear, a border to come and see you uh, it's a lot easier to control these types of things. And mm-hmm. I think, well, Australia is a massive Island. It is still an Island. And so if you're able to contain who's coming in and out, uh, Australians have gotten used to that. And and yeah. so the notion that some guy, because he's ranked number one, can just come in, even though he's unvaxxed and be celebrated in the tennis community and all that stuff uh, was caused so much upheaval and anger amongst mainstream Australians. It, majority of people, actually, the majority of people in most countries, in all countries are vaccinated for the, you know, first world countries mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. are vaccinated and are reasonable people. And so that's very upsetting. So it maybe speaks to uh the the political uh, turmoil that uh, the initial uh, exemption had caused for him that he was right. willing to go this far. So I want I want to wrap it up here, but Braden, let me let me ask you one more question here, and let's go back to the sports side of this. When you think about Novak Djokovic, you know he's of the same generation as Rafa Nadal. He's the same generation as Roger Federer. You know, there's definitely a conversation. These three guys have dominated, you know, the last decade of tennis. Many would argue Novak Djokovic is emerged as the best of the three of them um certainly at the end you know he he's he he caught roger federer just sort of at the end of his sort of uh peak however you know there's an argument to be made that this guy is one of the greatest tennis players of all time i wonder what this does legacy wise as an athlete to him playing here had he played it even on australia what was going to be the response are people going to be booing him like he may never play in australia again i don't know how long his career is going to go that's what i was wondering but he's got three he may be on a three-year ban here it's possible he never plays australia again that's the tournament he's dominated he's got a chance had he had he won if he wins one more he will be the uh, he will have won the most australian opens of all time for a male player what is this due to his legacy? The fact that not only has this whole scenario unfolded this way, but potentially, you know, just, just the tarnishing of his image too. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I do think it's going to affect him going down the road. I don't know 
I don't know what suspension would look like and I don't know what other turn. I mean, what other tournaments was he going to run into an issue like this with, uh, you know, other, other countries probably have a lot less uh, strict um, rules, but who's to say that that doesn't change down the road as well. And, and with, you know, Djokovic already having a scenario like this following him, I don't think that this, I don't think this ends well. I don't think that this is something that can just kind of uh, leave him. I don't think people are going to forget about this. Well, Elliot, you, we know you are our, our uh, Novak Djokovic fan on this show. What's his legacy uh, coming out of all this? I mean, if he never wins again, he still won the tournament nine times. Uh, so that's his legacy right there. I, I mean, I, I have a hard time believing that people's stances on COVID is going to impact their legacies uh, in any sport. And tennis would be any different. I know that for that's frustrating to say. And my flippant nature on this topic for the last two weeks speaks to you know, how fed up I am on a, on a bunch of different fronts with professional athletes and the way that they've deal, dealt with this crisis. Um, but unfortunately, that's driven by things like Frankly, it's not going to impact their legacy. I guess uh, the only way to know will be to uh, bring this back up when we get further down the road. And as Braden said, you know, this whole thing's very fluid. Elliot's suggesting that the Tennis Association should be the first ones to maybe in- implement rural. It's very possible that things change now moving forward because they're going to well, find themselves true. having to think more about how they handle this themselves. And I, I think the other thing is legacy-wise, regardless of legacy, I think his image amongst other players has changed too. It, he was a sideshow for the whole beginning of this tournament. You could listen to the frustration. I know I heard Rafa Nadal and also uh, Andy Murray, both pretty frustrated that all the questions they were getting were about Novak's visa application, as opposed to worrying about tennis, which is, you know, obviously very important. And and Andy Murray had a a pretty passionate uh, defense of vaccine vaccinations, you know, and talking about he's got family members who work in hospitals and whatnot. So, all right, I guess we will leave it there. Uh, And, uh, and that's topic one. Hey, if you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Hattrick's very own Braden Dollar Coltman sits down every Wednesday with his best bud, Christian Steck. And together, they break down all the news, rumors, transactions from around the basketball world. Whether it's the NBA or college hoops, these two guys love talking basketball, and you are going to love listening every Wednesday on the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Okay. Let's go to topic two here, and I know this is one that nobody really wants to uh, to deal with. I think we're all burying our heads in the sand and hoping that things just get better when we pull them back out, but it just doesn't feel like that's the case. I know I've had conversations with both of these two gentlemen, uh, independent of each other at different points throughout what has been a very difficult month and a half now uh, as Edmonton Oilers fans. Um, yeah, the Edmonton Oilers have lost uh, 13 uh, games. They've only won two since December 1st. Uh, they ha- were off to a really positive start to the season. They, they built up a very solid uh, stack of wins that has bolstered them uh, in the standings a little bit through what has become a pretty uh, epic tailspin here. They find themselves currently uh, sitting at a 17, 11 and six record. Um, they have tumbled down the standings after being first in the league uh, at the beginning of December. And obviously it's become pretty apparent it's broken. Something's not working here. Uh, Every person on Twitter, every fan, every pundit and every media member has got a different theory or variation on on a theory here. We've heard now from the general manager over the last week, Ken Holland coming out and saying he had no intention to fire Dave Tippett. He believes the answer is in the room. 
Um, obviously, we, we're starting to see the desperation and, and, and the cracks in the foundation of this organization as they look towards every solution possible, one of which appears to be the much, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't even know where to start with this one. Evander Kane appears, appears to be the only option uh, when it comes to a solution here and all the baggage he drags with him. You know, we had a really good conversation a week ago about uh, compartmentalizing uh, bad behavior off the field when we think about players' performances on the field. And obviously, Evander Kane fits perfectly into that, into that category. Um, I don't even know where to start with this other than, is this rock bottom? Like, is it, can it get worse than this, Elliot? And, 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 and if, if it does, like, where, like, do the, how do the Oilers fix this? Uh, is this, okay, so I'll tackle, there's two questions there. Uh, so I'll tackle the first one. Is this rock bottom? Uh, it may very well be, uh, but you don't you don't hit rock bottom until you're still getting better. And they lost to the 30th place team last night. So, so that's what I mean. How can it so, get worse? So it's uh, well, if they keep losing, well, they're playing the top ranked team next. Yeah, I mean, so if they keep losing, then it can continue to continue to bottom out here. So I, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't think that we've. I, I don't know that this is rock bottom and that is, that is a problem. That is the problem in of itself, right? Is that, that we just don't know when is this going to end? Everyone, we expected after the three game losing streak, it turned into a five game losing streak. Then they got two back or, you know, then it became what nine or 10. And then they got two games back and then they fell into a funk again. And uh, you know, since uh, Dave Tippett got COVID, he's not won a game as a coach, which is crazy because he wasn't the coach on the bench when they won those two games. They, they he hasn't won a game two. since December first. Yeah, yeah, since, since yeah, since basically the two wins they had oh, yeah, in that time that. span, he was not on the bench. For he was not right. on the bench for them. Yeah, so there, so so it was actually before COVID he went on that side. That's right. Um, so all of the things point to it's really bad. Uh, I'm not going to argue with that, but is this the bottom? I, I I don't know. How do you fix this? Well, there's not a lot of options here. And this has been the struggle is that the team has been right up against the cap because of poor decisions in previous administrations and maybe now pre poor decisions in current administrations. And now you're looking at a team that is built to score and can't score, uh, did nothing to deal with a precarious goaltending situation uh, over the year. Uh, and, and maybe for good reason, they'd had pretty decent success last year, but now that that decision's come into question. And, and ultimately the problem here, which is that they've gutted their defensive depth, which was the issue in the off season that I took with the direction of the team. And, uh, and, and so when they ran into injuries and, uh, and challenges, they were, they had nothing to call up, but rookie players. And you're starting to see what happens when you've got more than one rookie on an NHL team, you cannot win games consistently. There should be one rookie on this team. It should be Evan Bouchard, and he should be playing maybe 14 minutes a night. Since this losing skid and the uh, issues in defense with from injuries and COVID, um, this team's bottomed out, and you have to point to the fact that people like Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear, who had legitimate, were young in their career, early in their careers, but had legitimate NHL experience, are not there to fill the gaps, and instead it's folks like, Willie Legazin and um, uh, uh, other, you know, rookie players that just do not have the game experience to get you through an 82 games uh, schedule or even, you know, a 15 game stint at an NHL caliber level. And that with poor goaltending has led to a team that's bottomed up. That's where the issues are. Can they get a new goalie? 
it makes some sort of change there. Maybe, I don't know. Is Evander Kane a great player that could help this team? Probably, even with all the other bullshit that, that surrounds him. But again, that doesn't solve goaltending and it doesn't solve defensive depth. And that seems to be, to me, from what I'm watching, the issue right now. Braden? Well, there's one thing to solve this precarious goaltending situation. And I'm all for getting another goalie, but I, it's got to be stay in your freaking net. I don't know how many times our goaltenders have so many terrible turnovers from the goaltender. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm, I'm, I'm really sick of it. Like first I was really sick of Koskinen just letting in the first goal over and over and over again, and constantly having to catch up for the entire game. But now we're just seeing boneheaded, like you don't, the play that that happened with Skinner, you did, there's no reason to be out of your net for that. There's zero reason. Let your defense get into the hard corner there. Break the cycle up and get it out. With last game's, uh, with the Ottawa game, there were a lot of positives. Like they're, in the first and the second period. Third period, that's where they got to sort their shit out. They, we cannot let five goals in one period. What was nice, we were starting to see scoring uh, on depth. We were seeing Perlini put in points. We were seeing Darnell Nurse score. Like, that's the kind of help and support we need. But I, I, I need, I need. I mean, just as everybody else, uh, as an Oilers fan, I have every idea of how to change this team. And, you know, there's just, there's no, there's no asset. There's nothing to move. And like you're saying, Elliot, the cap space is just like incredibly choked that, even with the idea of a cane or a, any trade, there would have to be so much more movement that goes along with it. I, I don't, I don't know you guys. I like, I do think that Holland has to, has to pull the trigger on something. Um, I don't like the idea that nothing's on the table. And if you're trying to win now that you're not willing to move, you know, anything, there's some serious money that's being held up in Cass in Koskinen even in Barry, that is like, it's troubling there. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the right move is. I like the idea of adding somebody who can score at the clip that Evander Kane does, but just as everybody else agrees, like the, the bad outweighs and it's, 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 I don't know how that works. I don't know how that fits. I, I also don't like seeing McDavid just say, well, it is what it is, you know, cause it's much more than what it is. It is Evander Kane. And so, I don't know. I mean, it worked for Cassian, but he didn't have kind of that track record of, of the things that the Canes, you know, had in his pocket and, and has done. And I just don't know you guys. I don't know. Okay, exactly so there's a few things to, to get through. Is. There's a few things to get through. I'll, I'll pick them all. I'll take three of them and I'll sort of go one by one. First, the Edmonton Oilers are a very, very fragile team right now between the years. They're a team that is struggling confidence-wise. Their best players aren't, aren't able to, to, to... They're completely impotent, frankly. They're completely lacking in the ability to put pucks in the net. When's the last time Connor McDavid or Dreisaitl scored? When's the last time either of them were able to do the kinds of things that found them success earlier in the year? It's just not happening. Oh, we want to talk about depth scoring. I'm sorry. The only scoring against Ottawa was depth scoring. Right, you can call Cassian not depth scoring because he was playing with McDavid, but I'm sorry, it's he's still depth scoring. Sure, the truth is that across the board, the Edmonton Oilers are failing in every single category. They've been failing to score, they have been failing to keep pucks out of their own net. That is defense and goaltending. The Edmonton Oilers right now are last in the league 
when it comes to scoring first. It's a weird statistic. They have only scored first 10 times this entire season. They have been scored on first 23 times. That is completely unacceptable from a preparation standpoint that you are coming out in games and clearly not giving the best effort. Number two, clearly not a good enough start defensively, clearly not a good enough start goaltending wise. Something is not working that you need to figure out because you are trailing. The Edmonton Oilers have only, only uh, won games that they are leading or tied coming out of the first period. If they are losing coming out of the first period, they are oh and 12 on the year. That is unacceptable as a hockey team that, that you are that fragile right now. Number two, let's go through the two, the two big stories of the week. Obviously, the Evander Kane thing for me is just, it just reeks of desperation. It demonstrates so, so in, in, in like such clear relief, how broken a team Ken Holland has been able to put together, right? Obviously, if you are at this point of a losing streak, you are starting to get desperate regardless. But if your only solution is to bring in one guy and that guy comes with all of that baggage, boy, are you broken. Right. The idea that Ken Holland in the same press conference can 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 justify why he would give this guy an opportunity and at the same time say the answers in the room is bullshit. It just doesn't. They, they don't, those two things don't go together. You're suggesting you need outside help and you're willing to sacrifice all of the bad media attention that's going to come with it. All of the potential problems, he, the toxicity he brings into your room. Also, can we just for a second? Can we just take a moment to talk about the outside part of this that is also just unacceptable, and that's the Edmonton sports media right now? There was not a single person with media credentials who was in either of those two press conferences who was asking the real and important questions here about not just the fact that Evander Kane comes with baggage, but what the baggage is, right? This is someone who is... And also, I'm sorry, why are we asking these guys, are you okay with giving people second chances? What the fuck is that? Second chances. Evander Kane has been run out of Winnipeg, Buffalo, and now San Jose. He is on his fourth chance. This is not second chance. This is a guy who has literally, if you want to call Mike Smith injury prone, this guy is controversy prone. That's all he does his entire career. He's 30 years old. This isn't a young player. His entire career bad toxic involvements with organizations has followed him. I will leave that there for a second. My last piece is Ken Holland's press conference. These two things do not correlate. No, I will not trade the first overall pick. No, I will not fire the head coach. I believe the answer is in the room. Oh, but we're in win now mode. Those two things aren't, all of those things don't go together. If you are in win now mode, that means nothing is off the table. If you are in win now mode, that means that you are willing to do anything it takes to make this team successful now. And that's just not the case. Ken Holland is always talking about down the road, down the road, down the road. He made a joke at one point about being, well, if I trade the, you know, the first overall pick now, and the next time you talk to me, you're going to be saying, where did our depth go? And it's like, guys, you're either all in right now or you're not. And you can't tell me you're all in because that's, I just don't have any evidence to show me that this team is all in. If they're all in they're they're, they're literally, literally, there are two players in this hockey team who are off limits and it's Connor McDavid and Dreisel. Everybody else is on the table, but they're not there. They're just not there. And they're not willing to trade everything. They're not willing to sell the farm. And it just tells me that this year's, as far as I'm concerned, already a bust. They're not going to fight for, Ooh, for wow. what it takes to win if that's the, the attitude and, and the motivation is literally saying, sorry, guys, you got to do the best you can. And the second part of that is this is on Ken Holland. I, I, I believe, and I have said this for weeks, that I do not believe Dave Tippett still has that room. I think Dave Tippett's a good coach. I think Dave Tippett has had a few examples of bad decision-making. 
I don't think that he has been given a fair chance to succeed with the team in front of him. That's on Ken Holland. Do I think he should still be the coach? No, he probably should be fired, but unfortunately he's the victim of other people's mistakes. As far as I'm concerned, I'll turn it back to you guys. Sir. I worry. I worry too. I worry. I worry a lot about any kind of substantive changes from a management or coaching standpoint for the, for the Oilers. We've had too much of that for too many years in this city and particularly with, with the superstars that we've had uh, and before as well, too. I, I, I don't know what's going on in the room. It's impossible. I think it's generally impossible to tell whether a coach has lost a room or not until afterwards when someone else comes in and you really see a difference, like maybe you've seen in Vancouver, but I think throwing in the towel this year would be a, a coaching change. This is the last year of Tippett's deal. Let him run it out. Maybe he can make something, some hay out of nothing here and, and get this team into the playoffs. Cause that's ultimately the goal. And that also ultimately needs to be what but they have what you they seen any evidence that he's able to do that right now with the roster he has in front of him. Like, yeah, it isn't about yeah, Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, no, I do. I have I seen Where? Yeah, Did you watch what the evidence? first period? Did you watch the first period of the last game? Yeah, I watched the whole game. That was offensively dominant. That needs to continue. And Offensively I do dominant. They left the period tied, Braden. They were offensively in the offensive zone the entire yeah, not capitalizing, period. Not capitalizing. But let's not. Passing I think pucks that they should be sure. They're not putting goals. But you're running pucks over. But you have to look at this. This is the problem. What happens in Edmonton, Jordan, is that we get solely focused on one game or one period or, or one area. In the Tippett era, he's had four years as a coach. Two of them, I would count, as playoff years. Two. Of I don't them. think he said four. I think he said three. Well, maybe he's he's, he's on a four-year deal, isn't he? This is the last year of a four-year deal. Maybe right. So, the last two, the last two years have been playoff years. Whether you count the debacle with Chicago and COVID is is one or not. Yeah, yeah. And, they were a good teams. And, and you've seen, seen four years of this is the first year in which you've seen any sort of regression uh, under two. And largely, and I think largely, this is not based. This is not based on Tippett. It's it's been based on the resources that he's been that he's been. And I just said that I do agree with that. Play. I think he is a. I know, but I don't think the change of that. I, I disagree with the notion that this is the year to trade the first overall pick as the team sits right now. If it was December 1st, I'd be with you 100%. Yes, we're in go now sure. mode if we continue. But if you trade the first overall pick and it ends up being a lottery pick because you, the Oilers don't make the playoffs, that's what? a colossal mistake. What if that's, it was for not... a player like a Jacob Chitron who is a quality defenseman and term and at a cheap deal? But they but we, they played this game on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. And it was, who is that? Is, Ch- is Chikrin enough to get them into the playoffs? I don't think so. He's not Scott Newtemeyer and, and, and the Dallas Stars. He's not Chris Pronger in 2006. Like this is, that, that's, he's a solid yet. one, he's, two, he's, he's a solid one, three defenseman. He's on a great contract. I, 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 this is nothing, this is not a comment about Chikrin himself. But I think the notion right now that, well, we got to trade the first overall pick. One, for what? There's nothing. All it is is just sharks, the shark circling right now because the are in chaos. You're not dealing from a position of strength. And two, it's a colossal mistake if the team doesn't make the playoffs this year. Even if you do get someone that in the long term maybe supports the team, there's just not that player out there. And that type of player demands cap space that the Oilers just simply do not have. So he's he, he's handcuffed in a number of different ways. Some from the previous administration, some from his own. I mean, Costin continues to be not his problem that he's had to deal with, and, and it's really damaged him for the last... Uh, three or four years that he's been the general manager. But I think right now, 
at least publicly to say that the first overall pick is not on the table, whether that's the truth or not, is the exact right thing to do because it's a shark circling. And right now that's a lottery pick. And I, 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 as a fan, as someone who wants to see beyond this year, success could not justify that. Uh, I don't think that's justifiable. When was the last time we traded a first? Not in a long time, but when have we been in a position to, 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 to be, to, to, to be in a position where we're not looking at trying to make the playoffs, but actually making a run. This is again, it's happened again where you know the, the bottom's fallen out and and i just i struggle with the notion and i know at the beginning of this year you guys were both at my throat on like this is it's win now everything on the table and, and i bought into that and, and then december 1st again if you ask me i would have agreed with you but right now is not the time to be shopping the number one pick let's give it a couple of weeks i don't think they're as bad as the last six weeks uh they're certainly not as good as the the, the start of the season uh, demonstrated, nor are they as bad as the last six weeks. I, they're somewhere in the middle. Let's get to that mean in terms of whether they're a wildcard team or uh, or whatever, and then you make a decision at the deadline. But I, it, talking about it in January, while you're in the teams in the middle of a slide, the number one picks on the table, absolutely not. This is uh, that's yeah. not the time to be talking about it. You know, the other thing that we're really struggling here with is the just the derailment of the season, like just smashed with COVID and then smashed with postponements. And now we're about to go into an Olympic break and an all-star break. And they've played one game in the last two weeks. This is, this, this can't be easy. There's tons of stuff going on. There's tons of stuff going on. And I think, you know, what the statement's been is let's see what the, let's see what happens over the next three to four weeks. The COVID's now run through the team. They won't have to test for what another three months or something like that. Some, craziness uh so they'll be able to play as a full team let's see what the full roster uh fully enabled although now mike smith's out another one or two weeks shed uh let's see where that team lands because it'll that's a team that looks a lot more like the start of the season roster than the last six weeks where they've been plagued with injuries you know the entire left side of the defense was completely gutted there's been tons of issues here i i think we all fan bases teams media this podcast included, we all have to pump the brakes here. It's been a messy six weeks on a bunch of different fronts. And I think what's the issue with Edmonton always is fire the coach, fire the GM, pick up the so vendor game, fix, fix it now. Let's wait. Like that, that's, that's the strength of having someone like Ken Holland is, is that, uh, is that he can weather the storm. And I hope he weathers the storm and doesn't do anything stupid. And do you think Evander Kane will happen? Uh, yes, I, I would bet on yes. I think that yeah. the deal's done and in place. The only thing that the only issue I have with making a prediction too solidly is that now everyone knows the number. So now teams are going to come to Evander Kane with 1.75 and it, no deal signed. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. And two, we don't know what kind of suspension is going to come out of this, uh, this investigation about him crossing the border potentially with COVID. So, which could be long-term, which could be long-term. And that also has an impact as well too. But he cannot be suspended if he does not have an NHL contract. I just want to say that. Which means they're waiting to find out about it. Correct. Meaning that until the, until he signs a contract, the NHL is in no legal position to suspend him. But Therefore, I don't want to get it. But there's but there's a bunch of semantics here because he's also grieved the ending of his other con- contract correct, with San Jose. So which also where, means where that contract sits, which also means that at the end of this season he could be given back to San Jose under yes. the same terms of that previous deal. Yes. there's a whole yeah, lot of shit here. Which is why I would also seven. say I, right. I want to go back to one thing I did say earlier. I think that 
I think that you're, I think Elliot, you're right in, in, in part of what you're saying, but I think you're talking out of both sides of your mouth when you say you don't want Ken Holland to do anything. And yet you think this will still happen. This for me is still like the most desperate thing Ken Holland can do because no, not absolutely only not, absolutely not, no, not more desperate here's than getting the first overall pick. Not no, no, true. Here's not, why. No, here's why. Here's why. No. Okay. Way. But here's why. Connor McDavid was crucified in the media on Twitter for how he handled that press conference by signing a Vander Kane. You are shackling him to every single one of the decisions that moves forward. Every single result that moves forward. If you sign a Vander Kane and your team does not pull out of this, you look like you made a terrible, terrible decision in doing that. If you sign a Vander Kane and any of his baggage comes up, because he's a member of that organization, you've shackled that to all of those players and all of those decisions. Every one of those players is going to have to be constantly feeling the additional pressure of not only are we losing and therefore we are feeling it. You will watch Zach Cassian or Connor McDavid's press conference following the game last night. Those are incredibly, incredibly tense and uncomfortable players who are dealing with something that is not fun to go through to begin with. You add the additional pressure of having a quote unquote reclamation project attached to you, all the other media attention that's going to come with that, all of the every single word, each one of these players being parsed. It's not a no, you're you are significantly not, you are not a strong enough or a a a a, a functioning organization as it is right now with how this pressure is getting to these guys to add an additional thing like that. And I think it would be an absolutely terrible thing. The other thing is from the Evander Kane's perspective, I'm sorry, you want to send him into an organization right now that is strong without him. Because if that, like it, it if, if one of those organizations, like, look, let's just be straight up. There's two organizations that are in this conversation. It's the Edmonton Oilers or the Florida Panthers. Those are the only two teams that are still in this conversation. They're the only two teams, 16 other teams looked into this and passed. That should tell you everything you need to know. But the Florida Panthers right now, they don't have room for him. They can make room for him, buddy. No, they can make but room on for the fourth point five million. Yeah, no, he's not going to go anywhere. No, because no, because uh, he this doesn't is like the paying thing, taxes. This is the, and but, and he doesn't. And there's no. And he's not going to. He's not. That's a funny joke. But he's not going to. He's not going to play. It. He's not going to play. Sure. Uh, the first for or a, second line. But this is what I'm also saying for a Vander Kane contract after this year. For a Vander Kane, the Edmonton Oilers are perfect for you. Yes. If you're a Vander Kane, they're perfect for him. But that also puts him in a power position. That means he has no accountability. He knows they need him. That he knows how desperate they are for Which him. I Maybe he'll play to that level. I disagree. Or it no, means no, that he, because he, he feels like well. he's got more leverage, and that's all I'm no, saying. No, he. Yeah, I think I think you're one overvaluing a bunch of uh, uh, the impact of having a player on for half of a season because that's all they're going to get them for they're only going to sign him for a year no and, for and sure they can't afford him after. probably on one one year deals for the rest of his career because of his behavior up until this point which actually i think puts the leverage in the favor of the team that signs him in that he needs to play well enough to justify a contract next year so no i i, I would disagree with that i also disagree with like the notion the impact of trading away a first round pick whether it's a lottery pick or look, I'm not, not saying you should be trading the first round pick. Be, I am not oh, I saying, know, but, that. I, but don't, I, I think you're overvalued. But you're either win now or you're not. Game. You're either well, win now or you're not. Are, so then, why are you down on the idea of adding more scoring to our team? Because I don't believe that you need to compromise the integrity of your organization to do it. But I what, don't believe that. 
Okay. It doesn't happen without Connor and Leon saying this. Of course. This will happen. But we also learned a lot from watching Connor McDavid, which is the fact that Connor McDavid is will, right now also in desperate win everything now mode. That is where he yeah. is at. He doesn't give a shit about all of those things. He almost sound, he, he almost came off as arrogant in that conversation as Kevin Lowe did when he had the conversation about we have two tiers of fans. These are people, he, he is right now only on one track. And frankly, I think he's angry and pissed off at everybody else around him because he knows that the team is playing well and he knows it lands on his shoulders and he knows he lands on and and they're not scoring neither of those two boys are scoring right now and that's got to be that's why i say they're fragile i believe this team is incredibly fragile i wouldn't disagree with that i'm just over i think you're totally overvaluing the impact of evander kane being a negative force on this it's no there's outside of but elliot he hasn't been run out of his organizations but let me finish outside of a prorated $1.5 million contract. There is no cost to the organization outside of potentially some perceived bag baggage that comes with the Vander Kane as we go. Perceived. And I, no, no, no. But in the sense that there might be other issues that, that emerge on the Oilers because of his behavior, which I don't think is the case because frankly, like you said, this is not the first, second, third or fourth chance here. This is, he's playing year to year now for the rest of his career. So he needs to, to do well. I, I, there is no cost to the team and it, it is the lowest impact. It's not desperation. I, I well, I, the team is desperate, but I don't think it's necessarily a desperate move to bring on Evander Kane. And I think anything else you do from trading for some unknown goaltender to trading away the first overall draft pick to putting uh, big time prospects uh, out on the trading block to, to quote unquote win now of all of those options, bringing on Evander Kane for half a year is definitely the lowest uh, risk, the lowest risk. Okay. Well, I guess time will tell. Weeks. I don't know. I just, I, I just don't see it that way. You, you're not run out of three organizations. If you don't have locker room issues, if you don't have all those other things, it's just the truth. You go talk to the guys in Winnipeg. Every single one of those players wanted him gone. Every single one of these guys now in San Jose. After how these long? Other after how long? Them out. Multiple after years, long? sure. Yeah, but like how soon did that come on? Because I'm sure in a half a year, they could figure out how to score. And I'm maybe just win. saying. I'm just saying. I don't know. It says a lot about your organization that you're in a place where you are that desperate. Again, as I said, 16 other teams did their due diligence. You tell me there are 16 other teams who couldn't use him uh, there as a hockey 16. player? There weren't 16 teams. His well, agent said there were 16 teams to drive up his value. There weren't 16. I'll give you the same the same reference you gave earlier. That number comes from Elliot Friedman. I know, but he, and Elliot Friedman said there weren't 16 teams. He All said right. well, that's, regardless, what, that's what the agents said. Sure. Regardless, many other teams looked at him. Many other teams passed. Yeah, I don't care. The Edmonton Oilers are in desperate, desperate straits. And if that's the only move they make, they're not going to be any better than they were before, as far as I'm concerned. Because frankly, their top guys aren't scoring right now anyway. What's he going to so do? Jordan, Just come in and score your what, way out of trouble? It ain't going to happen. You need to get your Jordan, defense and your goaltender fixed. What is that? And what is that solution right now to you? Well, you decide. You want to sell the farm and try to win now or not? Because as far as Elliot's concerned, he'd rather wait and try to. Who are you getting? Who are you getting? Like, there's no one to get. I don't. I'm not saying. Okay, well, I can give you a few different trade options. I'd be doing right now. The first goaltender I'd be targeting is Alex Gorgiev out of New York. That's the first guy I'd be going for. First, I'd be selling Koskinen to Buffalo, who does not currently have an NHL goaltender. Koskinen's better than a not NHL goaltender, so I'd be moving that salary contract to do that. Then I'd be going to. 
New York and saying, who do you want? You want Philip Broberg or Kyler Yamamoto? I will take a like genuine starting goaltender moving forward in Alex Gorgiev, which he is statistically much better than any goaltender we've had in the last four or five years. A potential for that young goaltender to grow with your core. I'd be trading either one of those two pieces and whatever second or third round pick New York needs as a sweetener to make that happen. That one up there, that's a first. That's the first. That's the first. Sure. Well, there's your first then. Is a first right now and a chance to move into a playoffs with an actual opportunity to have some pucks stop before they get into your net. Not worth that. You are last in the league uh, of being scored so. on first. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know what I'm saying, Elliot? Oh, yeah. Like I'm just saying at some point you have to decide. First of all, I don't know if New York's doing that move. No, I, I, don't, I don't know if New York's doing that. Move. Like I, don't think you're Co- I don't think you're just giving Koskinen to, to, to Buffalo. There's lots of issues there. That I think that's an assumed thing. Like I, and I, and I just, I mean, I, those are all ideal situations. If that can happen, sure. great. But I just, don't, I, I, I don't think it's that simple. I know it's no, not and simple. I, and I agree happen. with you. And goaltenders are very rarely moved during the year. I've said that many times. You you are shackled to the guys you I don't know. You we've are got shackled a lot. To. Scrivens, Rollison. Well, and you've got, yeah, but no, but see, okay. So that's fair. <laughs> well, I don't know about Ben Scrivens. Dwayne Rollison's a good example, right? But remember that where the team Dwayne Rollison came out of at the time, Minnesota, he was the backup. At, mm-hmm. for that organization. So you have to be looking at a guy who is going to, who is going to overachieve from where he currently was. Alex sure. Gorgiev is in a tandem yeah. and playing very, very well, right? He's looking for an opportunity to be the number one guy in Edmonton. Obviously he would be instantly. He would be. And that would be, I, I still think that that, that's, you know, it's either that or what Darcy Kemper and right now what's his injury status, mm. right? Marc-Andre so, Fleury, man. My bud, Marc-Andre Fleury. So, but how do you make the money too expensive. work? Chris Drieger. Way too expensive. Seattle. You don't, you don't No, And That's I don't think problem. Seattle wants to move on from Chris Drieger. They remember that Braden, they signed him before the, before they drafted him. Yeah. They'd Both already signed it a long-term. And deal. I think Seattle's already figuring out that they need to switch things up here. I don't know. That team's probably, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, I guess, look, we're not going to solve it today. We can have more conversations about what happens, but I think everything's going to come on. Let's try. Cause our next game is like what? Four days from now, two weeks yeah. from now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. They played the uh, Panthers on Thursday. Yeah, that should go well. It'll be a good opportunity for Vander Kane to see which direction he wants to go in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Florida's playing the way they are, it's going to be a 10 nothing blowout. There's no way Florida couldn't afford him at $1.5 million, Braden. It's not that. He's not going to play it's in the just, top two lines. It's just that's, that's what he wants. Yes, that's maybe if that's what he, he wants. Does. does he want to win he that is. a Stanley Cup? No, he wants to play in the top two lines so he gets a contract. I don't know. That's what he yeah. wants. I think he's he wants to win a Stanley Cup and not pay taxes. million dollars of debt that he needs to exactly. climb out of. So he doesn't have to pay taxes if he plays in Florida. He gets all of that money. One point five. Which is why they're going to... No, the Oilers are doesn't have to pay taxes. And I'm just saying. We'll leave it there. All right. Let's, uh, let's round out here um, <laughs> with a little bit... Uh, well, it's just a little bit of fun. It's the wild card week in the NFL. We haven't spent a lot of time just talking about football, football. Our, our most recent football, NFL conversation football. was all about off field um, shenanigans and behavior. So busy weekend, obviously wild card weekend always is the most fun packed playoff weekend of them all. And uh, you got a lot of potential upsets and a lot of great storylines. Let's just run down through them really quick. And then you guys can pick off the storylines you, you most want to talk about. And I know where Braden wants to start. So uh, Bengals Raiders. Bengals coming out on top after breaking a 31 year playoff oh, yeah. victory streak. That is 26, 19 for the Bengals. Um, Braden, you weren't alive the last time they won a playoff game. Elliot and I were both one years old. Uh, fantastic. Uh, 
to see the Bengals out there. Unfortunately for the Raiders, I think they now have the second or third longest streak. Um, the the Lions, the Detroit Lions, have the longest losing streak, but the Raiders now fall um, to the Bengals. That was definitely the whichever team wins. It was going to mean a lot for their fans. Um, and then we had the Eagles and or pardon me, yesterday or uh, Saturday we we had the other big sort of David and Goliath storyline, the revenge game for the Buffalo Bills, who uh you know they have just been hammered for a decade by the Patriots and especially when Brady was there, obviously they get revenge in snowy Buffalo. They win 47, 17 to the Pats beating the Pats, I should say. Uh, and then today or Saturday, Sunday, we had three big games. Um, obviously time recording this Sunday night. We, we, we don't know the outcome of the Cardinals Rams game, which is going to happen Monday, but the other three games, Eagles box, the Buccaneers winning 31, 15, uh, big two, you know, big rivalry games following that the Cowboys and 49ers, these two organizations hate each other. Long, long history. 23-17 for the 49ers. It looked like Dak Prescott might have a moment for a Hail Mary there at the end. I don't know if you saw that, but he uh, he ran uh, to get a to get a little bit extra yardage and then wasn't able to get the ball into the umpire's hands fast enough to get the ball down for the snaps. So the the clock umpire wasn't able to get onto the line before. Yeah, but he should have been. He should have grabbed that ball, found that umpire, and put it in his hands because all he had to do was touch it, and then the center could have taken it. Instead, they got it down. And anyway, point being, it'll be one that I'm sure Cowboy fans will be sour about for a while because Cowboys fans <laughs> traditionally are sour. And then finally, somebody beats Ben Roethlisberger Steelers to knock Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers out ending Ben Roethlisberger's career and Patrick Mahomes leading the Kansas city team to a 42 21 victory there. So uh, the first four, five games um, of that wildcard weekend are finished. As I said, cards Rams Monday, where do you want to start guys? Who, what game was the most exciting for you or where do you, uh, what storyline really jumped out for you, Braden? I know I think uh, well, it's the Bengals, yeah. but yeah, I'm pretty stoked about these Bengals. Joe Burrow threw for a lot of yards, 117, I think. Uh, lots. They just they just <laughs> look really good. Uh, 244 yards, so even more than uh, what I thought. 116 receiving yards for Jamar Chase. This this tandem, this LSU tandem, they're just really fun. And it's I, for me, I, I don't watch a lot of NFL, so it's it's fun to watch these teams that you don't usually get to see. Uh, in the playoffs, actually making something happen. Elliot, where do you want to jump in there? Did you watch all these games? No, I didn't watch all these games. I'll just... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are up 31 nothing heading into the fourth quarter against oh, the Eagles. Eagles looked really bad today. <laughs> the Eagles, like, come on. Like, just give us a show. I know it's like 14-4 and four versus 9-9 and nine team. You can't I mean, everyone just wants Tom Brady to lose and like everyone goes in and it's just like, maybe this is the time. And then it's, you know, he throws, it's pretty pedestrian, like 29 for 37, 271 yards, two TDs, and they win the game 31, 15. And they're just, they're just so good. Like, I mean, this is, Tampa Bay's good, man. It's like, I would not bet against them to repeat this year. And that is nope. not where I would have been throughout the start of the season. Like they That's are, fair. That's definitely fair. They just, Tom Brady and that team, which is stacked. Yeah. How, you know, yeah, yeah. Stacked. It's amazing when you don't play taxes, how well you can build a team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so well that you can't play like, you know, a great top six player in your top six. Uh, that uh, they, they continue to be dominant is to me just. Right. Are they going to win without Antonio Brown? 
I, I don't think, uh, yeah, no, I don't think that'll be an issue, no. Okay. Well, hopefully that's the same with Evander Kane. <laughs> so, so I'm, I, I agree with you, Elliot. Everyone loves to see Tom Brady lose, which doesn't happen very often, obviously. But you know who else people really love to root against is the Pats. And I got to tell you, man, oh, yeah. these Bills are a really good football team. And this Josh Allen kid is a really good quarterback. And it's a great story because a lot of people wrote him off and a lot of people have undersold him. And you know, it's funny. I don't know if you know this, if you guys saw this statistic here coming out of this, the Buffalo Bills are the very first team in NFL history to win a playoff game without punting, kicking a field goal, or turning the ball over. Whoa. 47-17. They routed the bill belichick's pats bill belichick's teams are notoriously stingy on defense that is they've obviously had the greatest quarterback of all time for a long time when they had brady and that was you know where the storyline was but those teams were also always incredibly hard to play against defensively the bills made them look like it like a a scout team like they just they cut them up and did you see how cold it was too yeah but Look at but it's cold in Boston. The Pats no, have played a lot it, of cold games. I'm just it's incredible. No, I thought you were saying that was a, that, that was, many points. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And Josh five, Allen just made five it easy. T- TD throws. He threw five touchdowns and, jo- yeah. and 66 yards rushing for the quarterback. Yeah. That's more than the Pats rushed with their backs with their running backs. Yeah. No, totally. That's the thing, right? Is it's like you you, you just. They're, they're for real for sure obviously the the two other games today i mean kansas city felt like a pretty much foregone conclusion i think everyone knows that this team has been you know they're, they're good and when they're on their game they're they're really good um they get a so chance speaking now. of the chiefs chiefs and bills next week that's going to be a game to watch yeah that's a big that's a that's a that's a yeah that's that's the exciting game next week for sure Cardinals and Rams tomorrow. If you hear this tonight or you hear this Monday morning, you know, I might make some time to watch that game. The, the Cardinals and Rams are very interesting teams for very different reasons. And have yeah. both had sort of up and down years. And but when they've been up and really up, and if both teams are flying, man, if both teams are flying, this might be the game you bet the over on. I'm just saying. Yeah. And the winner of that game obviously back? goes on to play on the buck to play the Buccaneers. So that's a, uh, you know, that either one of those teams could could have a a tough time time with the next opponent, but it'll be fun to see which one gets through. Sorry, sorry, Braden, what did you say there? I think JJ Watts back, and I think yeah, they made room today for other guys coming back. Yeah, that was a big Um, loss for Arizona uh, later in the season. There, uh, let's just let's just do a little. Let's just do a little. uh, Should we all pick a team to win the Super Bowl? Well, I I wasn't going to get there yet. Uh, let's start with next week. Let's go divisional. <laughs> let's just go divisional round and then we can go week by week. Okay, here as we go. okay. So here's the matchups we know. We'll start with those three and then we'll, we can make a pick based on the maybe, maybe here, which makes it like a double pick. So you got the Cincinnati Bengals and the Tennessee Titans, obviously, um, who got the buy. So you got, you know, the big running game of Tennessee and then obviously Joe Burrow. And, and uh, as Braden said, you know, they looked really, really good there against the Raiders, but you know, they're still a, a young team coming into their own. Uh, Elliot, who you have, the Bengals or the Titans? Oh, I've got the Titans, no question. I'm going to write these down so we can go over this next week, everyone. Okay. Elliot is our, is our uh, scribe. Is that a weird scribe? Sounds like yeah, the middle, yeah, middle yeah. ages. Uh, Braden yeah. can be our uh, – who, who's the guy who used to, like, run around playing the lute? The jester. 
Yeah, you can be him. Okay. Um, Elliot's the scribe and you're the uh, the jester. All right. Uh, 49. Oh, sorry. So Br- Elliot took the Titans. Titans. Braden? Well, in jester fashion, I'll take the joke of the Bengals. But I only because I know the Titans are going to be a very scary team. Uh, but I think I think that the Bengals have it in them to pull an upset next weekend. I'll go. They just the, have to stop Henry. They have to stop Henry. I don't know how. Well, and he's exactly. And he's been hurt, that. right? So <laughs> he's been hurt. So yeah, you know, he has Henry. He can, but he has with he hasn't like been eight guys on his back and not. Jordan, just just take the Bengals and give me the W. <laughs> uh, no. Do it. Watch the upset. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll take the Bengals. Sure. Why not? Jamar Chase for two hundred yards. Three hundred. All right. Yards. Uh, we got the 49ers who squeaked by the Cowboys and Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers. Uh, Braden, you want to go first on this one? Who you got? Yeah, the 49ers. Fuck Aaron Rodgers. Nice. Uh, Elliot? Uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers take this game. No problem. All right. And I will go. You know what? I. No, one. man. Just take the 49ers. 49ers. Just the take 49ers. the 49ers. I'm telling you, it'll w. be another upset. People, well, but I can't just do the same as Braden the whole way. Be, all right, I'm going to the 49ers. Just, Screw it. Yeah, all right. You're going to be surprised. 2-0 and already, buddy. <laughs> no way, man. You're going to be so right, disappointed. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's, go uh, let's go Bills Chiefs. Now, you're up first to guess. You're up first to guess this time. I'm taking Me? Buffalo. Yeah, you're up first. Oh, Jordan's up first. Oh, I was going to take Buffalo, so I'll take yeah. Buffalo. Braden and I are just going to be in this together. I actually, <laughs> I actually genuinely think that Josh Allen's in a position this year where if he plays like he played against those Pats, they could push this team to the Super Bowl. I'm not kidding you. I think the Buffalo Bills yeah. are really, really good, and well, I think that you know they're the, they may be the three seed, but they are a genuinely good football team offensively and defensively. But but. Josh Allen has something special going right now. And if they can uh, come at the chiefs, they just took down, you know, one of the great coaching master, you know, uh, classes of all time yeah, in Bill Belichick. And they made it look sort easy. of sort of team. And now they just have to go up against a really, really good offense. And if they can hold against that, I mean, it could be a really high scoring game. If both these quarterbacks go off like they did in the first round. So I'll go with the bills for sure. Braden, uh, you picked Braden. the Bills too. So then well, I, I, I also genuinely Chiefs. believe that the Bills will win. But, it, but like you said, I think it's been a lot of fun to see the the comparisons here between jo- uh, Josh Allen and and uh, Emma Holmes' play style. Lots of running going on. Lots of scramble. I mean, I'll I'll go three and zero in picks and take the Chiefs. And the last one. So this is the tricky one because we don't know yet who's in there. Will it be the Cardinals, the Rams, or the Box? Um, if it's the how do you do this? I guess so. You want to you take, take you, you want to take, take the Buccaneers the or Buccaneers the other or the other. I think that's the only. But thing. that's so hard because if it's the Cards, I'm not taking them. But if it's the Rams, I think the Rams can beat the Buccaneers. I think the Rams are the only team with the defense capable of really shutting down Tom Brady and being difficult for Tom Brady. Because what is what, what is Tom Brady's biggest weakness right now? It's being flushed out of the pocket. Doesn't have Antonio Brown. Oh well, but he also he needs time. He's still. He, he is not a mobile quarterback and he's even more not a mobile quarterback than he was when he was young. When the guy was healthy and young, he was not yeah. mobile, but I'm sorry. Like that Rams defense is still scary. Um, I'm going to, you know what? <laughs> ah, ah, darn. I got to go with Brady and the bucks because he is the all time goat of all time. 
Is that what you were going to say, Jordan? Because that's what I was going to say. No, I really want to take the other. Yeah. Right, you take the cards. Bucks. I'll take, I'll go with the cards, Rams. Okay. Those I've picked are all the underdogs. I've picked every underdog. I do. Yeah. Not and I've, I've taken every favorite because I'm taking the Bucks. It doesn't matter who they play. They're going to beat both teams. So, all right. <clears throat> Monday, you know, Monday, Monday's a feel good game for those two teams because they're going to lose to Tom Brady next week. The Rams, though, have the best receiver in the All league. All right. The best linebacker yeah. in the league. They, they had like good they had a really, team. really bad end of their season. Great, great, yeah. great jerseys. Great jerseys. Bengals and Titans. I've <laughs> got Titans. You boys have Bengals. 49ers and Packers. I got Packers. You guys got 49ers. Bills and Chiefs. I got Chiefs. You guys got Bills. Bucks versus the Cards slash Rams. I've got the Bucks. Braden's got the Bucks. And Jordan's got the Cards slash Rams. We'll see you next week. All right. That was fun. Uh, and so was this week's show. Thank you both, uh, as always, for uh, bringing it all. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we'll be back next week uh, with another great show. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.